0: I'm really, really really glad to be with you tonight to talk to you about the work that uh, just last year I started in going to Africa with a man named Ed Brand. And the joy of being part of it is that it was more than I expected it to be. And even on my first trip there, it was more overwhelming than I thought it would be to the point that even in the course of the first time I was there, I texted my wife and I said, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. But I endured the first trip, which we'll talk about a little bit tonight, and the exciting things that I think are happening in this last year. I preach for the Woodlands Church of Christ, and we have for years been supporting some men in Uganda through the influence and knowledge that others have had about these men. And that's what drew me to the work in Africa. But what also drew me to the work in Africa was Ed Brand, who is a man who has preached all over the world, actually, and done much of what we are doing uh, in Africa in other places, from the Philippines to Europe uh, to South America. He, He spends six months a year traveling, six months at home with the church where he is in Alabama. So with that as the backdrop, I want you to understand that's how I had an interest in Africa. Now, Uganda is the first place that I went. I want you to see where it is. It is a very large country. We'll talk about that in a second. But Burundi is this very small country just south of it, and right in the middle middle is often the the big newsmaker of Rwanda, if you've ever heard any news from that, or Kenya or Tanzania. Uganda's got about 49 million in it. Uh, The places that I had gone, I landed, of course, in Kampala, but Lira and near Mbale, those are the places where the men that we uh, support work. So there I held different preaching seminars with the churches that were there, and those men uh, meeting Bob and Sam that we had supported face to face gave us that exciting opportunity. To think, okay, this is our work is going. We're glad that it's going, and we can see that it's going in a good way. And during that time, four were baptized. As I mentioned, Frank Walton and Bob Hutto, Brian Moody, and Ron Roark—they've gone to Uganda. But and it was Frank that introduced us to these people. The first person that's up here. Sosospiter, he was the first convert in East Africa, or I'm sorry, in East Uganda. Really because of him, the gospel exists in its primitive New Testament pattern. His son is named Moses, and the reason I put them up there is Moses was my uh, taxi driver. He drove me everywhere, and if you see the roads, which you will, you'll see why I'm glad he was my driver. But Moses was named after Moses Malisa, who was the man that we supported. Tragically, he died in 2019 in a car accident. He was struck and, and killed instantly. But Sosospiter uh, named his son Moses because of Moses, who was a mutual convert that was converted with Sosospiter around the same time. Beatrice is his widow. They have several children. One of the men that we continue to support is Moses' son. His name is Sam, Sam and his wife, Susan, um, are very special to us in a lot of ways. The most significant thing is we discovered when they had their first child, they named their child Tracy. My wife's name is Tracy. And we had no expectation of that. And then just recently, Susan was expecting twins, and she, they sent me this honor to help them name their children. I don't know about you. It was hard enough for us to decide what to name our own children than to ask me to name their children. So I chose Moses because Moses was the name of their father, or his grandfather, the child's grandfather. They thought it was two twin boys. And Joshua, because Joshua was his compatriot. They found out that it was a boy and a girl, and then during the delivery, they unfortunately lost, lost Moses. So all that remained was Nadine. They named her Nadine. So for those of you who knew that that was my mom's name, now you know where that came from. But while I'm there, I have a new name. Um, I'm sorry, this is Bob Kilo, and his wife Hope. These are the people that we are associated with, and uh, they do really good work. But while I am there in uh, Uganda, I am a Mazunga. That means white man. So they call me everywhere I go, Mazunga. The street, people on the street, whether they're 10, whether they're 50, I am Mazunga. When I go to Burundi, I am Abazunga. It has no bad connection, but sometimes when they yell it at you and you don't know that it has no connection like that, it can be a little bit scary. But anyway, Akinkondo is where uh, Bob preaches, and this was the work that we had done. Everyone had gathered outside the building that they had just constructed. And I think there was around 120 present at that day. And during the weekend, there were four baptisms. Bob also does a radio program. So they invited me to go to the radio program. It was a great experience for me because I've never done radio. But what was real exciting is when we arrived, they, had done, they were doing service on their, <laughs> on their radio uh, disc. So nothing was live. So what we did is Facebook Live from the radio room. And uh, we were able to do that preaching that way. Then in Uganda, we went to Mbale, which is where um, Sam is. This is the church building there. This is inside the church. You'll notice that they sit on plastic chairs. You'll notice that they have dirt floors. That's actually more common than the other church building that you just saw. But it is uncommon for a church to have a building this size. And it is a growing good church, This is the church that Moses started many years ago, and his son Sam continues to do the work uh, there as well. And this is the church outside its building. That's the housing of Uganda. That's how most people live, but not everyone. But particularly in the rural environment, that's the kind of huts that they live in. So when I travel, I don't travel and stay with the brethren uh, when I'm there. I will stay in a, a modest hotel in town, uh, mainly so I can eat food that I'm used to when I wake up in the morning. So while there, this is kind of what city life looks like. When you go to the market, this is where you would buy and you would trade, and all the women gather for the purpose of sharing what they've gained from their garden. And usually it is the city people who come and buy their, their wares. They would bring them to town on their boat, on their on their bicycle, and you'll notice that there's also motorbikes in the streets, which is what they use for taxis. So it was not uncommon for me to drive by. Someone had gone to town to buy something to build, and he hired out a motorbike so that they could take it home. So anyone who wants to ride a motorbike, there's a good taxi idea for you to to earn some extra money. But another thing that was true in actually both countries is there's no police force. All there is is the army. And so the army works as the police and are endowed with all the authority of perhaps really to say that they're allowed to take, very much like the first century. So there were a lot of traffic stops where the taxi drivers would always get nervous, um, and sometimes our host would have to offer money to the police officers to help get us through the traffic stops. And it was really only because the police officer, the uh, army men, sometimes people who were highly ranked, just needed some extra money. And that's the only way we could get through. Then we went to Ramangi, or to uh, Burundi. And the capital city is Bujumbura, where the airport is. But Ramangi, the yellow star south of Bujumbura, is where we spent a lot of our time. Just to give you some perspective... It's 4% the size of Texas. It's really close to the size of the state of Maryland, but no Texans don't know the size of any other state but Texas. So it's about 4% the size of Texas and 12 times the size of Angelina County. Ed Brand is the person that I travel with, and that's a picture of him. We have a good time, and we enjoy our time together. But the reason that we came in contact with Burundi was Ed made a, had a... Christ, knew a Christian in Tanzania, and that Christian knew the man called Felix Habinoma. Felix is an, a very, very, very good man. He and his wife have ten children. and as you know, Felix loves to dress colorfully. Uh, he had blue sh- blue jackets, red jackets. But Felix's story is very simple. For those who may know anything about the restoration history, In a lot of ways, Felix is an Alexander Campbell of his country. He left the Pentecostal church around 14 years ago because they were not teaching what the Bible taught. And so when he left, he started to preach the gospel, the primitive gospel, the teaching about baptism particularly, and began to develop, through his preaching, churches. And about eight churches still exist from the work that he has done. Of course, there are other men who are preaching besides him, but Felix is the reason that they exist and they're on this journey. The people that I was with, these are the, our translators. Eric was Ed's. Jean was my translator. And Viani was Felix's translator to us. What happened is we taught in nine churches while we were in Burundi. Notice some of them are not what you would think of as a church of Christ the ones that are starred, are Pentecostal churches. Quite an interesting experience to be invited to speak at a Pentecostal church, which we did. And in one particular one, the last one, the Carmel International Gospel Church in Bujumbura, spoke in when we arrived, the man who had spoken to us and talked to us led us to believe that he was deeply interested in the Bible, deeply interested in Bible teaching and So we agreed, Ed agreed that we would come speak. Ed got sick that Saturday, so I went by myself, and while we were speaking, or as I arrived, I realized two important things. Number one, there was a lady at the front seat with a drum, and then number two, there was a lady over here who was the pastor of this church. So in the course of a couple of hours, I preached about what the New Testament church was, that When Paul established the church in Philippi, he appointed elders like he did everywhere in every church. And there were those men who were shepherds were men because they were husbands of one wife. And I said, even though I'm sure Lily is a wonderful woman who loves the Lord, we can only agree on what is right by what the Bible teaches. And at the end, the man asked everyone, we would love for Don Hooten to come back. Do you all agree and no one raised their hand. So uh, but we were welcomed in most every other place. Twenty-four people were baptized. Most important, the highlights were there, is we helped them discover how to establish authority as well as these opportunities we were beginning to have in Pentecostal churches. While there, there was a landslide on the main road that connects Bujumbira to the area that we we're gonna go in Ramongi. They had already planned. They already knew about it. It was like almost a um, quarter of a mile of road that was completely inaccessible to traffic except foot traffic. And so as soon as the car stopped, we didn't know what was going on. They didn't tell us. Then suddenly they started taking all of our luggage out, and they put it on their heads, and they carried it, all of our hosts. They carried it over the hill while Ed and I walked across the hill, and we got back to the other side. There was another taxi waiting, and they put all of our luggage back in. So they were quite the servants in helping us out, by, because we thought, oh no, I really felt sorry for Ed, because by the way, Ed is a little older than me. He's in his 80s, and he's been doing this six months a year for over 30 years. Everywhere we went, we were in Burundi. We would see Lake Tanzania, uh, Tanzania. It is a very, very long lake. Unfortunately for Burundi, it is their primary source of water, and I say unfortunately because it is also the deposit point in all of their land for everything else. So consequently, as an American, I'm not excited to eat their fish that come out of that, but that's part of their livelihood. Most of the roads look like this because everything is mostly foot traffic or bicycles or motorcycles, and almost everywhere you drive, you'll find goats. You don't find a lot of cattle, but you do find a lot of goats. So while we were there we traveled what would be probably 48 miles what it really takes is 2 hours and 38 minutes okay the roads are really rough the roads are really ter- terrible and driving on the roads you're you're going down a two lane road where there is no marks there's no lanes and there isn't much blacktop hardtop I'm not sure they even know what that is and If they do, there's holes in it, and so you're sharing this two-lane space with foot traffic, bicycles, motorbikes, taxis, and 18-wheelers. They don't know what a traffic light is, no one knows what a speed limit is, and no one uses blinkers, but they use their horns all the time, and they scream at each other. It's quite an experience. As well as when you have a driver who decides he wants to get there faster than you should we end up having a flat and discover we don't have a spare so it was quite an experience but we went to rukinga hill this is where felix is and the church there you can see on the inside of the building um, again they sit in plastic chairs but they all have or wooden benches and then but they have a concrete floor this is a building that's been there about almost 12 years since Felix began preaching. While we were there in Burundi, there were four baptisms. Something else, we had a two-day seminar with their preachers and from other churches. We repeated this again in May for the work that you had supported me with then. We talked about the work of the church. Um, I was the whiteboard for Ed while we were doing it. There's no PowerPoint going on, just basic old whiteboard. And there's Felix telling the church, which was extraordinary for us, that at the conclusion of the seminar he's speaking to his membership sitting out and then he's talking to the area preachers that preach at the churches that he had helped establish as well as visiting Pentecostal preachers. And he said, we have learned something from the Bible we have not known before and we must change. So then we went to many of the other churches and at this particular church in Muyangi Hill there were ten baptisms. Now, realizing that me and Ed, we are not the dynamic preachers that make people want to obey the gospel. Most of the time what really happens is they are talking to people and they're saying, you need to be baptized, and they plan it all at the same time. It may not necessarily be in the same hour of the night, but it's nearly always in the same hour that the preachers from out of town or out of country come, and they have a lot of baptisms. Something else that happened there is... (laughs) while we were standing there, the community all sees it. So they use it as an avenue to make the community know that they're there. And so we went there, and the trade is going on right there by the lake, and so we walk over to a place where it's relatively private, and all of the community that was there that left and their children all followed us. So I'm standing there watching the baptisms, and I'm surrounded by children. Now, remember I told you that Felix came from Pentecostal backgrounds. So some of his customs, some of the ways that he behaves might look a little different than perhaps the way Americans would in doing things. And it's also true the way they baptize. If you'll notice, he has his hand raised every time uh, someone's about to be baptized. And then when he baptizes people, like a flash of light, he shoves them under the water. And I've never seen anyone go down so fast into the water, so much that the water raises up over them so high. It wouldn't have bothered me at all. But what's funny is the first time it happened, all the kids who were not members of this church, they were just onlookers, kids who probably should have been doing something else. Anyway, every time one of them went into the water, they would go, bow, like that. (laughs) like that. So it was hard to, in that moment, appreciate the joy of these people obeying the gospel and being added to the Lord's church while kids from the community are screaming, pow. But anyway, we did okay, and they sang. Also notice that the name of the church is Revival Church. The groups that Felix is associated with, when he left the Pentecostal church, the government had controls over all the things. He was not learning enough at that point. And so he had to make a decision that if they were going to assemble in a place, the government required them to have a name. And he said, the only thing I know to call us is that we are arrive, we're trying to revive the church. And so they call themselves revival churches. Something else is that when they are baptized, all the women gather these fresh cuttings of fresh flowers or fresh cuttings to honor the people who've been baptized with this cutting of life to represent their new life. So in the spring of 2003, we returned to Burundi, which you helped me with and had fellowship with me. These are the men, again, that we've been uh, speaking of. The highlights from this trip, the eight days of teaching, was we taught in eight churches. And during that time, I, we also spoke in two Pentecostal churches, one in Ramangi and one in Rocher. And nine were baptized on this trip, one in Kabisi, Ramangi, and eight in one in Kabisi, Romangi, and and eight in my in uh, Mugarama. But there were breakthrough moments that we'll talk about as we get to the end. Again, just the travel. Just showing you how we traveled, we went first to Kabizi, which we had done previously the year before. When we arrived at Kabizi, he invites people from the community, and he also invites neighboring preachers or pastors from area churches to come. So those preachers are lined up in, uh, James would not have been happy about it, but seats of importance up at the front while we sit in front speaking to them. And my lesson was what sort of people should you be from 2 Peter chapter 3. Ed, I believe, spoke about the subject of authority. But during that, this is what inside their building looked like. <clears throat> and a lot of the people were very attentive. Notice the children and the women sit together. 99% of the time, the men are sitting up the front with us, and the women are sitting in the back. But over here on the right-hand side were the visiting preachers from the area. One of them, you can't really see it quite well, and it's colored. And when we were talking, we talked about that during the question and answer about the church, the autonomy of the church, and how to establish that authority. Just keep planting seeds as we go. <clears throat> when we travel in Burundi, it looks like this. It's quite beautiful. There's, an, again, another picture in the horizon of Lake Tanganyika, but a very beautiful place. We traveled from there all the way down to Romangi, and during Romangi, while we were there, at the teaching seminar, some of the things that caused the breakthrough was teachings about what God has been doing in our timeline of history. Do we really follow the apostles? We talked about when will you prepare Matthew 25. We talked about what really happened on Pentecost. We talked about what it is that God has set up, talking about the church and we talked very specifically about the roles in the church. Who is the superior officer? I'll tell you, explain, help you understand why we talked about that when we get to the breakthrough moments. But again, this is inside the building. And the work that we did would look... We would be sitting at the front, talking to them in this way with our translators on our flank. And that's very difficult to talk to a translator. But these translators did their best and I really appreciate them very much, and we rewarded them for that. Like I said, everywhere you go, there's goats, and there are all the kids looking at the goat as we were walking down from the church building. And everywhere I went, I was Abazunga. (laughs) And there they are waving at us in the car that we're talking to. Like I mentioned, in Rutinga Hill, there was one baptism, a gentleman who obeyed the gospel. Then we went inland to a place called Gasanda. Gasanda is up in the hills, and... To travel that way is to travel like that. Notice how fast he's going, like 10 miles an hour. We're traveling up the hill and Gasanda is roughly 3,000 feet above sea level from where we were in Ramonkey, which is on the coast. So by traveling all this way, we only traveled maybe 20 miles, and it took us two and a half hours. Okay, and we're all crammed into one little car. It's kind of like teenagers in a Volkswagen Bug, you know. I mean, it's just we're all sitting there like this. And um, it's, he was a good driver, <laughs> but it's just hard to get up there when all of the roads are in such wonderful condition. Then as we moved up. You could see what the, ro- the area looks like. And then there's Ed going up the hill because the only way he can do that is with his walker, walking stick. But he loves to tell the story that the very first time he went to Cassandra, which was before me, he went there one time before me, he did not know, they did not tell him <laughs> that we had to climb 8,000 feet above sea level from the car to where the church building was. So, and he's a young man, you know, so trying to travel up those roads, there was a young man who was selling a stick, and he bought a stick from one of the young men for about 25 cents, and so he used a stick, and then he bought a stick for him to bring when he comes. But Gassanda's building looks like this. Notice it's a little bit more elaborate, I'm not sure why it is, except that, They've placed this church building at the top of the hill, actually away from the community. The community is not around the building. All the community walks up those 800 square, 800 feet, 600 feet above sea level, for every service. So you don't ride up there, you walk up there. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know how they got all that stuff up there. It's like how were the pyramids built, you know? But they were good people, and they listened to everything that we said. Most of the pictures, you'll notice, don't include me in them because I'm taking pictures and Ed's on them. Then we went to Mudambara, a small little group that had just been started um, right before we came, the I came the first time. Uh, really hasn't grown a lot, about the same number of people. You'll notice all the women are sitting on the corners and around the edges, whereas the men are sitting on the other side. Um, there's another picture of Felix uh, sitting with some of the other men there. And this young man, when we were sitting there, we always begin with an introduction. We have to introduce ourselves. And they're great formalities. And so when we introduce ourselves, my name is Don Houghton. I am from the United States. I am the husband of one woman, Tracy. And I am the father of three children. Because that's what they want to know. They want to know that you're a monogamist. And they want to know your children. And so every way I would introduce that. But as soon as I said, my name is Don Hooten, this boy lit up. He was so excited. I didn't know what was going on. And then later I found out, he ran outside to tell me that his name was Don. And I was the first person he'd ever met named Don. So we're now close friends, (laughs) and we're going to meet again, Lord willing. Then we went to Buhurukuro. This was the second time we'd also been to this group. It is just outside of Rumangi, still heading toward the south land, but it's still uh, there. And it's um, a small group. What's really interesting about this group is they're meeting in someone's home. That's what that is. You'll also notice that, again, the women are sitting around the corners and the men are sitting up here. In this case, since it's a home, there's more comfortable chairs. But we had to walk through a bar area, we had, and it was on a Sunday, so the residue of the Saturday night partying was all the way from the city street to where the church meets. And they, their home, that's their home, but the storefronts that face the street is where all the partying is, and there were a lot of people there. And that's just an entirely different environment than we're used to in America. Then we went to Mugarama, which is further south. There are two churches, actually large churches that are there. Notice again, dirt floor, plastic chairs. This is a building that they rent. And they worship there regularly. And they've been there, I think, about four years. And this is where we had a lot of baptisms last time. And this year we had as well. Uh, there are, am I speaking to uh, them with my translator. I forgot, this is another video. that I put in. This is them singing. Notice they're going to be singing responsorially. No songbooks, no PowerPoint projection. At that time also there were eight baptisms. And notice again, whether it's men or women, they all receive the grass beginning their new life while we were in Romangi, we did a seminar for the preachers in that seminar there were a lot of really warm questions being asked during our presentation finding out that one of them was a Pentecostal preacher in the questions that he kept asking us particularly about the Holy Spirit baptism and other aspects about the work of the Holy Spirit I found out later he wanted Ed and I to come and speak at the church where he was So I believe that was on a Tuesday night. On Wednesday afternoon we arrived, and there were around 40 of their membership along with some of their leadership that was there. Uh, I, I don't know how it works in Lufkin, but to try to coordinate a unplanned church service to invite everyone within 24 hours without the use of technology or phones or anything else like that, it was pretty amazing to see that many people there and present. But they all listened to us speak. Again, I only got a picture of Ed speaking and not me. (laughs) But that's the front of their building. It was very clear that they use instrumental music. And so one of the things that I tried to preach about was for what unity did Jesus pray and how did Jesus command Timothy to fulfill it by preaching the word and demanding that people follow the commands that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So he welcomed us back. So we're hopeful that there will be good to that. When I'm there, this is kind of the food that I eat. And it's not like, oh, that's what I had one time. That's what I eat every time. And there's only one meal a day. There is a break, a break breaking a fast where they have bread and avocado in the morning with coffee. But this is an everyday meal. Rice and beans and a little bit of fish, yes, I did eat some fish, and a thing that they call bread. But when you're on the streets, they offer you fish all the time. You know, just the ladies holding fish. And I just had to remind myself that's not what I was eating, that they had cooked it. Then we went to Rochere, the second Pentecostal church, and we were not received unwarmly, but when we arrived, the church was already assembled in the building. And when we arrived, they were singing. That's great to me. And I was listening to them sing. We weren't allowed in while they were singing. They sang for 20 or 25 minutes, unstopped. The song never ended. Just imagine singing Alleluia 500,000 times for 20 minutes, you know. But that's what was going on. But also what was going on was drumming. And so it was a very ecstatic kind of experience of listening to their music. We were expecting that because we knew they were Pentecostal. But as, we, as they finished, we found out from our hosts that they have rules about their assembly, and that is they don't have chairs in their assembly. It's a holy place, so you have to sit on the floor. And you can't wear shoes. So you have to take off your shoes and you have to sit on the floor. Ed and I both agreed we'd be happy to do that. But our hosts didn't like that restriction. And so they asked for another alternative. While we waited for all of that to be worked out, we ended up going to the pastor's home. And that's what this is. Notice again, all the women are laying out in the the front by themselves. And then the men are sitting behind us as we teach. But I told you there were breakthrough moments, particularly at Burundi. Now, I didn't say a lot about Uganda because the churches have been, in many ways, well-established in the sense that they they know very well the teaching of salvation. They know very well the teaching regarding worship. Uh, To some degree, they know the teaching about autonomy. And the work that's being done there is going on by itself. But when we came to Burundi, Ed's understanding was that there were no churches at all of Christ anywhere in Burundi. Since then, we've learned that there was one French-speaking church in Bujumbura, but they refused to answer us. We have messaged and messaged, and then right an air flight, while we were going there this last time, he messaged me back, and he wanted to know who authorized me to come. And I'm thinking, okay, well, not sure what you mean by that. I think I know what you mean by that. And then when I told him that I'm going to just teach, I haven't heard back from him since. So I don't know. But we're hoping to, to make contact with him. But this group, the breakthrough moments, are happening with the churches that I just described to you as revival churches. First of all, while we were there about communion, as we discovered that they were taking communion quarterly, which is not uncommon even in American circles, and not weekly. So... That was was a problem, obviously. And so during the seminar, we talked about that. And it was Ed's assignment to talk about the frequency of partaking of the Lord's Supper, appealing to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, reminding them that when God spoke that to Moses, for the Israelites to understand about that, that what that meant was every time there's a Sabbath, that's what you should be doing, remembering it. And so on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread... That's what Christians were doing to remember Jesus. And so in the course of that teaching, they understood it and agreed, we will partake of the Lord's Supper weekly. But then once they agreed to that, then we said, well, what do you do for the Lord's Supper? Well, then they be, you remember that bread piece that was on my food? Well, that was their bread. And their bread was this plant. I mean, the fruit of the vine was this plant that they boil it because when it boils the the fruit of it the fruit of it it turns red so it was like blood so we began talking about well let's think about what Jesus used unleavened bread their bread was not didn't have any leaven in it and we weren't trying to get them to order crackers from the United States but we were trying to get them to understand what that unleavened bread probably looked like more so we talked about that though that wasn't the big thing the big thing was are you using fruit of the vine because they have access to it because there is wine throughout the country and there is grape juice throughout the country so once they said we will take the lord's supper weekly they said and we will change and they did i don't know How often that happens in the United States. When someone is confronted with the Bible teaches this to be this way and we are doing it this way, the people rise up and say, we will change. But that's what they've done. The second thing was congregational autonomy. Knowing, of course, Felix's influence on all of these churches because he's the reason they exist, by his teaching them, he has become, at least without the nomenclature, but with the understanding, he's kind of head papa. And so we had to address the, que- the question about congregational autonomy, especially because each of the men who were there representing the churches at our studies were one man who they called pastor. So we knew we had to do a lot of teaching about that, which we did. And so in talking about it, it was a grand discovery for lots of things because we've been talking about it every visit. But on this visit, we needed to press it to help them see. And so we came to this passage. I know you know which one it is, right? Acts 14.23. And they appointed elders in every church. And so we would emphasize every church had a plurality of men called elders. Not a one-man show that took care of the church, but a plurality of elders. Until the church grows and nurtures itself to the point that there are men to serve, there are not elders. There may be men who preach, men who serve, but we need to have plurality of elders in every church because that was the pattern of the New Testament. They could not understand why we were talking and reading this passage So while Ed was trying really hard to bring home the point through the translator, by the way, I heard my translator say, I don't understand what he is saying. (laughs) And my translator pointed to his Bible. I said, okay, please read to me what's in your Bible. Translate your version in your language to me in English. So he looked at it. And he said, it says, and they appointed elders over the churches. That's what their Bible says. So that's what they were doing. They had a group of elders over all of their churches, and each one served one church, but there were elders over their churches. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, oh, that's okay. I'm not trying to say that. But what impressed me was they were not doing it because they wanted to be in charge. They were doing it because that's what their Bible said. And then, when fortunately there was someone in the room that had a French Bible, by the way, French is the second language of the sophisticated and the educated Burundi, he had a French Bible, and we asked him to read it in French, which he did, and then we asked him to translate it into English. And the French Bible agreed with the New American Standard. And suddenly the light bulb went off for all of them, like that. So they said, we will do this. We don't know what they're doing yet. We're going to return in October to see what they've done. But we know that they understand. Just like in Acts chapter 18... Sometimes learning processes may take on different curves, different times. But each time we leave, they say we will change. And that's just a wonderful thing. So one of the things that I love, y'all know, I I think y'all do, y'all know I love music and I love singing, so they asked me to do this. So I came and I brought a song that we sing in English, had my translators translate it. And by the way, it never never really goes very well in the translation part. You know, but but this is one of the songs I taught them. Uh, where's the play button? Together. Do you recognize the song? change the melody and you don't ever argue with them once they change the melody. Yes.
1: They were only taught the
0: melody, notice how they're harmonizing. See, children still crawl on the floor in Africa, too. So at the conclusion, they always want to have a farewell meeting with us. And so we had this farewell meeting. We met in the assembly hall. They talked. We prayed. um, We sang. Many of the songs that they sing are just written in a text form, they know the melody. Sometimes they're singing a song that I know in English. They aren't always singing the same melody. But most of the time, if I could recognize it, I could sing it. If I didn't recognize it, I sang my own song. I sang the melody they were singing, and I sang my own words in English so I could worship. But at the farewell meeting, they, the men recognize the significance of these this discoveries. And they came up to the hotel room with us to have a heart-to-heart. Some of the struggles that they experience is because these churches are so spread out, and as you notice, they're all small. In American culture, for you and me, number one, earning an income is easy. I'm not trying to say it's easy-easy but even our government provides us an income if you don't work. That doesn't happen there. So many of these churches are, are small and tiny and then trying to accommodate for their needs is difficult, especially when you consider their contributions and recognizing how little they have to give. So they came to talk to us about, we want to make these changes, but we know it will be a difficulty. and. I left that meeting, I think Ed did too, feeling very good about what we're going to come back to in October. But I'm going to ask you to pray for all of them, because we talk about the challenges we face in our faith, because we deal with our modern world, our atheistic world, our a humanistic world and we talk about the rise of immorality and we talk about the bad things that are happening on television and we talk about the bad music our kids are listening to and those are the things that we're so worried about and i'm not saying they're nothing to be worried about but these people are facing what they know the bible teaches and they want to do it they just need courage so they took us to the airport my, I don't know what it is about John, my translator. Every time we take a picture, he poses. And uh, I don't know. But uh, anyway, that was them saying farewell to us, and it was a grateful, we were grateful to be with them. And I am grateful for your part in helping me in this last trip in May and helping me fully in this tri- trip that we're going to make in October. I'll let you know how things go and ask for your prayers. One of the things that happens in the book of Acts, in chapter 15, when the church was facing difficulties because people were trying to bring difficult, oh, they were bringing difficulties by the fact that Jewish Christians could not understand why circumcision should not be obligated upon Gentile Christians. And so they gathered in Jerusalem to discuss it, and it was quite a difficult conversation because it says there had been much debate. But before they arrived, before the debate began, it says in verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. And I hope that you understand that's what I've just done with you. Because what happens wherever we are in the world is God working through us. We're just servants. We may be people known by more people. Who cares? We're all just servants. And our role and our purpose in teaching is to bring joy in the life of people through the gospel and by helping them see that God not only loves them, but that God has for the entire existence of humanity plan to have fellowship with every human being who would put their faith in him. And so let me encourage you, those that you support in foreign places, pray for them. Write them encouraging notes. Pray for the men who work with you because they need your prayers too. But remember you have in your power the thing that will bring joy to Lufkin. The words of the gospel. Find people who want to listen. Find people who want to talk. Take your time. But just share the message everywhere you can. And tonight we share that message for you. That if you need to become a Christian, we plead with you to do that. As together we stand and as we sing